I'm Edzard Ernst, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, The Real ESP Experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 312. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Annika Harrison. See ya! Hello! <laughs> yeah, unfortunately Pontus couldn't make it today. I'm assuming that since he's a very busy and important person at VOF, the Swedish Skeptics, and he's always up to something, I'm pretty sure that that it, it has something to do with that. But even if not, the bottom line is he could not be here today. Yeah, he's probably fighting windmills like Don Quixote. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> In a way. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Did you manage to get back to normal Euro Central European time? Your biological clock did did the trick. Yeah, I think we like. I'm actually pretty good. I'm even sleeping earlier than okay. usual. So right. I think we we both landed on both feet, or like all three even. <laughs> okay, that's good. Luna was a champion during all the flights, so yeah, we 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 got back well. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's really good. The only problem is like we arrived. With a broken car, and then we were like, okay, so you, you come home and you can't even go shopping. <laughs> a broken car? What happened? Well, it, it's not too bad. Um, it's something with the transmission. Um, okay. But it's just not safe. Like, we could probably drive, still drive with it, but it's it doesn't feel safe with a baby in it, if you know what I mean. Ooh. So, yeah, uh, by safe, yeah. you mean you don't want to get stuck somewhere in the middle of, of the of road. Nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of that in rural Germany. Yes. Uh, okay, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, despite that, I think all are doing very good, mm -hmm. <laughs> very well. Freshly loaded with vitamin D from Australia. <laughs> oh, yeah. You were there in the middle of summer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, here the weather is absolutely terrible. I mean, <laughs> it's so windy that I haven't seen such windy weathers all through winter here in, in, in Hungary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, last week it was the same here. And I just told my mom, like, I was so glad that she put a few groceries into our fridge before mm -hmm. we ca we came because she, she didn't want us to be in an empty house. And it was That's so wise nice. that she did that because... The weather was so bad that I couldn't even walk to the supermarkets with Luna. So, and the car broke in and we're like, great. <laughs> okay, no, thanks. But we're doing, we're thanks, still doing good. Yeah, yeah, she's the best. <laughs> yeah, she raised you. So, uh, yeah, she must be. She must be. <laughs> okay, uh, talking about raising stuff. Yeah, I just read very depressing news about the International Space Station. NASA being the largest contributor to the project, this mm. international project, they recently announced that um, it would probably continue working until 2030, but then it will just 
plunge into the Pacific Ocean sometime around 2031. So we don't have much time to appreciate what's mm. up there as an international collaboration, yeah. uh, including a lot of ESA countries. So, yeah, a lot of our activity, the ESA activity, is, is um, being yeah. controlled uh, from Germany. Mm. Not very far from where you, where you live. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I hope uh, these people come up with something to replace it with. Yeah, because it would be sad to not have anything up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything th- is limited in in time. Um, yeah. How long it can hold, and it, we still want the astronauts to be safe there. But it's also sad to not have anything there. And I, I love the ISS for the international cooperation there. Yeah, that's a very important part of it. I I agree, and um, I understand that it needs mm-hmm. a lot of adjustments, and it has to. It's becoming more and more difficult to maintain and keep up. It's an old stuff. It's really an old piece of garbage, in a sense. But uh, (laughs) it works. And now everyone is focusing on further uh, destinations, like the Moon, Mars, Mm. and not much talk of low Earth orbit. Mm. And, yeah, I find it a little bit depressing. Yeah. But there's a lot to do up until then, so uh, who cares? Yeah. Can I vent a little bit? Sure. (laughs) Get it off your chest. Where, where, if not do, in your on our podcast? <laughs> do, do you remember last week I told you about the Hungarian pharmaceutical agency? Yeah, and how they filed an official complaint against a news outlet who spread the news that favipiravir is not really, it doesn't really have much efficacy when it comes to lowering the risk of um, severe illness in COVID. Well, it really got out of hand, the whole thing. Some scholars started writing about it, and we ended up, the Hungarian Skeptic Society, we ended up issuing a press release condemning the um, pharmaceutical agency as well. Because it's just not the way to go. If you don't agree with someone, you provide evidence, you try to convince them, but it's not like you go on a slap suit, and especially not if you're an authority of some sort. That agency is an authority that that has an oversight in many things, including which treatments and which medicines get the approval, including the vaccinations as well. And this was the same agency that approved things like the Sinopharm, the Chinese Sinopharm vaccine, and the Russian Sputnik vaccine, without them having acceptable and peer-reviewed evidence of their efficacy (laughs) so it's ridiculous what's going on and it's obviously it's all controlled by the government so the reason why they do that is that they have their orders from the top but this is not how an authority of this sort should work they should be the ones providing the professional control and it's not happening it's the other way around So, and whoever's on the side of science and reveals the fact that it's probably completely useless, they attack them with like a a court action. It's ridiculous. It It should not be happening. That sounds so bad. So, (laughs) I've been, yeah, writing up press releases. I was on radio and stuff. So, I was quite busy recently with that. Hmm. And uh, now we are planning to do a couple of, uh, like a little bit of um, Darwin Day celebration as well. Mm-hmm. on saturday so hope that goes well there will be a couple of online talks yeah this is also how we try to 
move towards a little bit late to the party, but we we're, we're moving towards the the online presence a little bit more instead of uh, what we lost with uh, the COVID situation. Yeah. Yeah. So sounds, sounds good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks for allowing me to vent of here. Course. And uh, <laughs> it's it's like it's like an EA meeting. <laughs> we should really have a segment. Yeah. Angry Andrush events or something. Yeah, I know I I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> hey, maybe our listeners should should uh we should make a poll with our listeners. <laughs> yeah, but we should out. we should probably organize these meetings. Like really, like like an AA meeting. Hi, I'm Andrash. My guilty pleasure is attacking the government and <laughs> getting worked up by all the stupidity that I uh, listen and uh, that I hear and read online. That would be nice. But uh, <laughs> instead, we have a podcast and we have a show to, to, do, to do. And before we do anything else, I'd like to introduce our interview, which yes. is with Edzard Ernst, Professor Edzard Ernst, who has been on the show several times. But uh, this time we interviewed him on the occasion of his book release that happened on the 1st of February. And that book is about Prince Charles and his wrongdoings in terms of supporting alternative medicine and such. So why don't we listen to that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Every now and then we interview someone whose work is of interest to our listeners and skeptics around Europe. I don't think Professor Edzard Ernst needs an introduction to our audience, but for those who haven't heard about him, he's the first ever professor of complementary and alternative medicine who worked for a long time at the University of Exeter, and he specializes in the study of complementary and alternative medicine. He writes a blog, and he keeps writing books and coming out with a new one every year or so. This is the reason why we have him on the show again, because we've had him before uh, for interviews. So, Edzard, welcome back to the show. Hello, thank you for inviting me. So, your latest book is titled Charles the Alternative Prince, an Unauthorized Biography. So, that's very bold. <laughs> for those who have read your book, A Scientist in Wonderland, which is an amazing book, I recommend mm. everyone to get a hold of it and read it. You touched on the topic of how you had clashes with Prince Charles. Mm. But what made you write a complete book on this experience and on him? Well, The Scientist in Wonderland was, was an autobiography. It, yes. It dealt in some detail with the two or three clashes I had with the Prince of Wales. That was it. Um, I wasn't going to write any, any more about it. But Prince Charles is probably the world's most famous and most industrious promoter of alternative medicine. Yeah. He just doesn't stop, a bit like myself, <laughs> but in a different way. And because I think he is important for alternative medicine, I was hoping that somebody would write this story up because it's it's really quite an interesting story of a not very bright boy falling in the hands of some weird people and being getting convinced about all sorts of mystical stuff and eventually ending up as a promoter of alternative medicine. 
I wasn't going to write this book because I had these clashes. And if I wrote this book, it would have been seen as a as some sort of revenge. Mm-hmm. And I don't need that. I don't want to continue this personal issue with Charles. But nobody wrote this book. So I, I, waited, ten, <laughs> I, I, wrote, I waited 10 years. And he continued promoting. Uh, recent, most recently, he became the patron of the Faculty of Homeopaths, for instance. So, so he continues. And, and despite the fact that in England, the NHS, the National Health Service, doesn't pay for homeopathy anymore. So he's in, in opposition with health politics when he makes statements like uh, becoming the, the patron of the Faculty of Homeopaths. Mm-hmm. So nobody wrote this book, and eventually I, I said, "Right, I'm going to write it," and but I'm going to exclude the personal battles I had. Mm-hmm. So in the book, you you will find the mention of, of the battles, but I don't go into explaining at any length what actually happened and how it touched me, how important it was for me, how it destroyed my department. Nothing you will find in in the new book. The new book is quite factual. The typical chapter has three parts, and, and they're quite quite similar. How he comes across a certain alternative treatment, for instance, chiropractic. Mm-hmm. First part, what he says about it, why he came about it, and how he supported it. Second part is then contrasting his views with the actual evidence. And the third part is summarizing the impact his support had on this particular alternative treatment. And he supported so many alternative treatments, so the the book has many, many chapters. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I'm trying to say is the the book is not just about Prince Charles, but it's also about the evidence. So you learn about the evidence Mm -hmm. for chiropractic, osteopathy, homeopathy, etc. But perhaps most interestingly, what interested me at least most was the story of somebody and being slowly but surely brainwashed into believing all sorts of nonsense. So this is yeah, this is very important that you mentioned how it's not a personal revenge and it's not motivated by your clashes with him. But you did mention how, as a young man or a young person, he came across the first experience with alternative medicine. But he's not a young man anymore. So has that been going on for that long? Yes. Oh, my God. Um, He studied in in Cambridge. I I now live in Cambridge. So he he studied in in what is actually now my hometown. Okay. And he got a degree in arts. Not a, not a very good degree, but he got that degree. And even when he was at boarding school, he was fascinated by certain books by a guy called Lawrence van der Post. Lawrence van der Post was a fantasist, a travel writer uh, who came from South Africa to England, who reinvented himself several times over the years, who also was a pedophile because he made a child with a 14-year-old woman, a 14-year-old child, who was entrusted to him on a sea voyage by his parents, who were acquaintances with him. Mm-hmm. And he kept her in, in a flat in London as his mistress for many years. 
All this came out later when van der Post had died. So Charles, when he was fascinated by van der Post, didn't know that. Nobody knew it at, at the time. And van der Post led him on this path to mysticism. He took him to the Kalahari Desert, meditating uh, the importance of harmony, the importance of nature, the importance of the way Bushmen uh, in the Kalahari Desert think and conduct their lives and so forth. In a way, any, anybody who has been young at that age, and I have to say I'm exactly of the same age as Prince Charles, mm -hmm. so I can very well imagine how you can be drawn into this type of thinking when you when you're in your 20s 30s because it, it's a way of protest and at the time we were all protesting against the old stinky professors mm -hmm. uh, which the I establishment have, which i have turned into yes <laughs> <laughs> unlike him <laughs> so for, for me, this this is really quite a fascinating story and how he then pursued his path always in protest of the establishment. His first major talk was for the General Assembly of the British Medical Association. They invited him and he, he was uh, in his very early 30s and he lectured these probably quite experienced gentlemen and women on how to conduct medicine. The arrogance of the guy is unsurpassable. Mm -hmm. That's the arrogance of somebody not very bright and very young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What did you use as like resources? I know that you said you already knew a lot about him and it's probably public record with the first parts of the chapters. But like what were the sources you could you could use for your book? Well, I had a large collection of evidence already of what he said, what he had published. I have to say that in the same year when I became professor at Exeter, he founded the Foundation of Integrated Health, which was a lobby establishment for lobbying for alternative medicine. And I had constant contact with these guys. They came to my conferences. We had a an annual conference, uh, research conference at Exeter. They came to my conferences. I came to their conferences. I was constantly informed of what was happening, what he was doing. And it's it's very much public record. So you go on the internet and you you, you find hundreds of, of, of sources. There are also quite a few biographies already, as you probably can guess, but none of them uh, focused on his uh, love affair with alternative medicine. So these were my sources, personal records, which I had assembled over the last 30 years, and what I found on the internet, newspapers, what he had written. He also had published a book called Harmony, in which he details his uh, rather bizarre ideas at length so uh, there's no shortage of of sources uh, <laughs> you the problem is more to sort out the important from the unimportant because there's so much yeah and can you you already said you write about the impact that charles had on the different forms of alternative medicine can you give us an example yeah homeopathy is a brilliant example When he started speaking out for homeopathy, we in the UK had five homeopathic hospitals. Homeopathy was the only alternative treatment that was 
considered as part of the NHS, so it was refunded, it was fully integrated. Then Prince Charles starts lobbying for about 40 years, and today we have zero homeopathic hospitals. Funding has stopped, and homeopathy is being laughed at. So this is a very nice <laughs> example of the negative impact he has. His anti and anti-scientific attitude, and I'm not exaggerating, he once declared himself the enemy of the Enlightenment. So he's anti-scientific. It is very fitting. <laughs> <laughs> deeply anti-scientific. And, and this deeply anti-scientific attitude became a detriment not just to healthcare, but also to alternative medicine in, in this country in the end, mm -hmm. which is very mm -hmm. interesting. He promotes it and thereby destroys it. So he's actually a good guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should let him uh, get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I hope he doesn't do that with the country as well when he becomes king. Well, he's, he's totally powerless. He's just a figure. Uh, like uh, When he becomes king, he will be a representative, but not a ruler. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But still, it's such an integral part of the British identity for so many. I'm, I'm hoping that our British listeners are not going to get back and attack me for that. But from, from an outside point of view, it is such an integral part. And uh, if it destroys the monarchy, that means that the country will no longer be the UK that we already know. But, but, but in a way, it, or, it has already happened with Brexit anyway. So if that's the case, that he destroys whatever he, <laughs> he touches, why write the book? I mean, why is it important to have this book out? Well, it's, it's an important part of, of the history. As I said earlier, he is the world's most prominent promoter of alternative yeah. medicine. So if you are interested in the history of alternative medicine, you will have to look up Prince Charles. And <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that long after I'm gone, people will read this book and look up this history. It's a part of history. A part of, not a famous part, but an infamous part of uh, a medical history. Okay. That's really cool. And uh, I have to be honest, I thought that it would probably feature your personal stories as well. But um, it's a completely different thing I, that I, I would have... I, I didn't exclude my, my personal in encounters because I, I wanted it to be complete. And if I had excluded it, people would have said, oh, this guy has something to hide. Mm -hmm. Because lots of people say I was fired from Exeter University because Prince Charles disclosed how dishonest I was. Mm -hmm. I had to mention that story, but I don't go into it. Yeah, to make it clear. and uh, But you did explain the story of that happening in The Scientist in Wonderland, so yes. which is very important. And uh, so the book is Charles, the Alternative Prince, an unauthorized biography published by uh, Societas and written by Professor Edza Dernst. So what is it that you are working on? Because a couple of years ago, when we were at the European Skeptics Congress, you said that you plan to publish a book every year from now on. So uh, what's next? 
Well, uh, um, since we last met, I have published more than one book every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, <laughs> That's I've, true. I've kept my promise. At, at present, I'm, I'm putting the last touches to a book which will come out in German, mm-hmm. which I've, I've written in German. It's the second book that I have written in German. I'm, I'm rediscovering that writing in your mother tongue <laughs> can be quite fun. Uh, by the way, I've also reapplied for for German passport, and and I lost my German passport when I became a, a Brit, and I've reapplied for for German nationality, and I got it just three weeks ago. So oh, okay. I, I have dual citizenship, and I did that because I'm so really really pissed off with Brexit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, understandably anyway, so. Uh, so that's the the German book that I'm just finishing. And a little while ago, I think two years ago, I published a book called Alternative Medicine, a critical review of 150 modalities Yeah, uh, with Springer. And apparently that was quite successful. It was translated also into German. And we have agreed that I update this and it's going going to be uh, 201 modalities. So it, it's updated and enlarged. That is a very tedious task, uh, I, I must say. If if I had known how tedious it is to update a book, it's it's much more difficult than to write a book. Oh, is it? I wouldn't have done it. But uh, there you are. I'm, I'm I'm in the middle of that, and um, beyond that, I haven't got any plans. But I have plenty of ideas. I have more <laughs> ideas than years <laughs> left to my life. Well, hope it's not true. So we wish you a very, very long life so that you can yes. you can provide we- the world with all that awesomeness that, that you write in your books. So We said before we want to have an Edson Ernest library that is filled with books. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, and we hope to see you again soon because in the last couple of years, no skeptic had really had the chance to meet up with others, like-minded people. So hope that changes this year with the European Skeptics Congress and all that. So, uh, Edza Dernst, thank you for joining yeah. us again. And uh, we hope to be able to welcome you back when your next book is out. Congratulations. And for everyone listening, please check out the book Charles, the Alternative Prince, and an authorized biography. Thank in, you very much. In, in recent in recent weeks, I usually say, in case they put me in the Tower of London, please send some food and wine. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, send us your preferences uh, regarding wine and food, and 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 we'll we'll publish them. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> bye bye. Okay. Thanks for inviting Take me. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. you. Bye All right. Yeah. It's always fun to talk to him. <laughs> it is. And what what I found super funny is the question if Charles is not actually a good guy because he undermines so much of the alternative medicine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the devil. Isn't the devil a good guy because he actually penalizes sins, you know? <laughs> so like maybe Charles is actually a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. He he destroys alternative medicine. <laughs> Uh, whatever he touches but um let's try to focus on on other people as well uh, yes. <laughs> some of them might have contributed very important and useful things to science 
And that can be told about the hero of this week in skeptical history, Twitch. And it's more of a science history thing, but uh, the good thing about Twitch is that the S could stand for both skeptical or science. So my hero for this week is someone who was born on the 8th of February, 1834. But I have to mention that that is based on the new system, because according to the old style calendar, he was born on the 27th of January, Mm. 1834 instead. The person that I'm talking about is Dmitry Ivanovich Mendeleev. Please, Russian-speaking listeners, do send us corrections if you didn't find it satisfactory. Um, <laughs> I mean, the way I pronounce his name. Probably all of our listeners know that what Mendeleev is uh, famous for. Uh, he was a Russian chemist, and he invented a lot of things. But he also came up with something that we use up until today in chemistry, and that is the periodic table of elements. He wasn't the first one to propose that there are some kind of periodicity in how different materials and different elements work and their properties could be seen as things that can periodically come up. But they organized the chemical elements in terms of um, their atomic weight and their valence. I don't know if you're familiar with what they both of these mean. No. <laughs> but they later turned out that it's not the atomic weight, but the atomic number that we need to focus on. And this helped later on clean up the periodic table of elements. So the difference between atomic weight and atomic number is that atomic number shows you the number of protons in the atom. And the atomic weight shows you the number of protons and neutrons. There are both present in the nucleus. Obviously, they had no idea back then. That was before the discovery of the electron. Mm. It was before the quantum theory of how atoms work. Mm. But the periodic law and the periodic trends, as is being referred to often, shows us that there are some properties, like the atomic radius, for example, then the chemical reactivities and what kinds of reaction they are willing to go into and how many bonds they are happy to form. That is basically what we call valence mm-hmm. or valency. Sorry. So that is the the thing that he realized and he started organizing the elements based on these periodic um, trends. And that is so brilliant that even after the discovery of the electron and how the electrons get in order and uh, how they behave, they are still there. And that periodic table that he came up with can still be worked. And he left out a couple of places because a lot of elements had not been discovered back then. Mm -hmm. But there were three elements that he predicted and very accurately, based on these characteristics. He said that, yeah, we cannot find something that that would fit the periodic table in this spot. Yeah, why don't we leave it blank? And when someone comes up with it or someone discovers it, then we we can fill in the blank spaces. And that's what happened. Germanium 
gallium and scandium were the ones that he actually predicted. So that's, that's so cool. science at its best, bitches. It's that shows really how it's, that the system works. <laughs> it's amazing and so good. That so that the guy was not only a chemist. He worked at um, several. He 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 lived uh, most of his life in Saint Petersburg, and he was uh, an elected member of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences. He was recommended for a Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1906, just one year before his death in Saint Petersburg. But uh, he had a couple of clashes with Svante Arrhenius and he Arrhenius was on the board of the committee so he never got the, the Nobel Prize mm. which shows us how yeah science is done by people yeah. and that's uh, <laughs> that's not not necessarily a positive thing all the time no <laughs> but he was also a foreign member of the Royal Society so he had quite an acclaim in his lifetime which is a good thing and very rare not as rare as as in uh, arts but uh, also in science mm-hmm. so he was also a director of Russia's Central Bureau of Weights and Measures he was the one who proposed the introduction of the metric system to the Russian Empire so that was very important in his works also one of his most important activities from a skeptical point of view is that he attacked spiritualism on several occasions he claimed that it was no more than ignorant superstitious kind of thinking and that would not fit in the system of science he basically debated the claims that it's it could be proper scientific dispute but russian science was apparently full of that spiritual superstitious way of thinking he really thought and he really believed that it was hindering scientific progress so in a way he was one of the early skeptics yeah sounds yeah. good yeah this is all about Dmitry Ivanovich Mendeleev, and I hope everyone appreciates his life's work because he was an absolutely amazing guy. Yeah, and one of the un- more unknown heroes, I would say. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call him unknown, but uh, less unknown. <laughs> he's less frequently mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on which country you are. In our country, his name is frequently mentioned in the the chemistry curriculum but uh that's that's not much i mean we still don't know much i mean a lot of people still don't know much about about mm. his achievements and why he was so important he wasn't the first one who came up with periodicity and those trends that i talked about but he was the first one who organized them in such a way that it could be used for predicting new elements and yeah many of them have been found based on that okay but that means we are moving on uh, obviously because pontus is not here today he will not poke the pope so the pope will remain unpoked this week so yeah enjoy it frankie <laughs> pontus will be back soon so we are moving on to the news and speaking of pontus i'm starting with a new segment from sweden mm. <laughs> Because Sweden decided to re-establish an agency known from the Cold War era, and they want to tackle foreign misinformation with that. 
Okay, uh, from Russia mostly, or yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the country decided to bring back a government body known from the Cold War era, <laughs> with the fears that you already said over Russian aggression against Ukraine. The agency wants to combat foreign disinformation, especially with Sweden's election, and also the backdrop of Europe's deteriorating security situation with COVID and also with, with the um, rise of the alt-right and everything. As we all know and feel, the tensions are growing, and Sweden also strengthened their military presence in Gotland, in the Baltic Sea. Ooh. And they are actually afraid that Sweden might be attacked too. They said they're not in danger now, but they can't rule it out. And um, with the agency, um, the previous iteration was closed down in 2008, and now they're opening up again. They said they am actually kickstarting it now because it could be that the security and defense in Sweden could be more important than the upcoming election. That's why they wanted to reestablish the agency a bit quicker. Um, and they call it the Swedish Psychological Defense Agency. And what the actual goal is, is to safeguard the open and democratic society, the free formation of opinion and Sweden's freedom and independence, which mm -hmm. are very good goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. And um, I just wish um, the defense item of that wouldn't be necessary. Mm -hmm. But we'll see what, what will happen. <laughs> Yeah, and we will see what the turnout of events will be in Romania as well, yeah. where a recent poll came out that was done by an institution called INSCOP. It's a research institution in uh, Romania, mm -hmm. and they did a poll, a representative uh, survey uh, sampling 1,162 people with telephone interviews between January the 11th and 18th. So it was a one-week-long survey. And the results are absolutely shocking, because what they found was nearly two-thirds, like 65.7% of the respondents believed that, and I quote, the COVID pandemic was caused by global elites to impose control over the world's population. That's two-thirds, almost two-thirds of the respondents believe that, which means that conspiracy thinking is very high in Romania. Yeah. So it's it's unbelievably high. <laughs> and even when it comes to the claim that there is a global plan for the implantation of chips through vaccination, microchips we are talking about, 28.4% of the respondents said yes to that question. <laughs> this is something that is quite concerning. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they try to control for variables like uh, people living in rural areas, uh, low-income families, primary education, secondary education as well. It looks like the share of population that believes in all these mm. extend to even those people who have secondary education and live in non-rural but urban areas. Mm. Even with higher ed people with higher education and incomes were present to a large extent in those groups that uh, we just mentioned. It's something that you have to take very, very seriously. So I'm not sure I understand everything correctly, but these two things in themselves, they are very concerning. The only positive thing is that 
people seem to be aware of the fact that they have been exposed to fake news as well. Mm. So 54.7% of the respondents said that they have been exposed to a large amount of misinformation in the last couple of months, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't believe that uh, the misinformation came from the government and not from those who tried to make you believe that uh, microchips are being pumped into your veins. <laughs> so that's a little bit concerning, and this means that uh, skeptics and science communicators have a lot to do with this because apparently the government is failing the country because it would be the government and uh, government organizations and independent state authorities that should provide the people with the necessary information and as we can see it uh, here in Hungary as well this is a very important thing and this is the responsibility of the authorities and they seem to be failing the Romanian nation yeah it sounds pretty sad to be honest yeah it is <laughs> Yeah. Something that didn't sound sad, but more funny to me, <laughs> actually, was that a man in Geneva was uh, hearing God after taking antibiotics. Okay. I would do he, that if I could. <laughs> <laughs> he took antibiotics to treat um, bacterial pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And within two days, the 50-year-old man experienced mood swings, was irritable, spoke incoherently, and he then went to a psychiatric unit, and they said these are symptoms of, of a mania. Mania is having an abnormally high level of energy and erratic thoughts and behavior. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when he checked into this psychiatric ward in Geneva, he told them that after the first dose in the, during the night, he felt like he was dying and experienced hallucinations. And that was that God was telling him about a special mission that God had for him. Mm, okay. Some people would think that's sign of him being a prophet. But no, that's actually a sign for a psychosis. <laughs> and then he was diagnosed with antibiomania, which is a very rare side effect of treatment with antibiotics. And mm -hmm. the term was coined in 2002. They think the condition might be underreported so that it happens more often than, than you would think. And interestingly enough, the man took two different kind of antibiotics. So he took some, then developed these mania symptoms, took another one, developed them again. It might be that he's like more susceptible. It might be that his brain, together with the different medications, just clicked in a way. So what he took was... Clarith Morrison and uh, Amoxicillin. And if I pronounce that wrongly, then please, dear <laughs> English listeners, <laughs> send it in. <laughs> Both medications affect the brain at times or are known to affect the brain. And they can inhibit the gamma amino butyric acid, so a neurotransmitter in the brain. And um, this could explain the mania, but it's a, a phenomenon that... I think needs more research and that is really interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And it gives you food for thought. Yeah, exactly. Um, when it comes to similar experiences, you start wondering how some people who became gurus and stuff could have gained that experience with the help of uh, different materials, probably. Um, mm, exactly. All right. 
So to finish the news segment on, uh, we would like to report on something very of, of, of a very happy development, and that's regarding a game that uh, is uh, frequently used by educators who try to spread the word about critical thinking and science and uh, the scientific method, and uh, that's the game called Cranky Uncle. <laughs> the Cranky Uncle game. So it's a, it's a series of things that um, John Cook and his team came up with, uh, the theme of skeptical science. It's mostly focusing on climate change and climate change related pseudoscientific and alternative claims and misinformation. The aim of the game is to try to build some kind of immunity to resilience towards this kind of misinformation by walking you through the different arguments and getting you the proper information. And unfortunately, at the beginning, it was only available in English, but that didn't stop a lot of people from getting to the application of it and using it in classrooms and in many other contexts. But now it is available in Dutch and German as well. So (laughs) it's really amazing. And they specifically say on the Skeptical Science website that there are a couple of translations in the process already and they are really looking forward to having more languages that the game is translated into. And to help them in their project, we invited Babel Winkler, who's the responsible for the translation project mm-hmm. and keeps organizing it. So next week, if all goes well, we will hear about all this from her firsthand. So this is really cool. I'm so excited about that. And yes. uh, and congratulations on the Dutch and German translations. I understand yeah. that the German translation was done by Babel. Well done. Mm. And... I think yeah. Babel was also the one who coordinated the translations of the handbook. The, yes, yes. So all the the mostly all the projects that are being done by the skeptical science team, uh, the translational projects. I think th- she's the one coordinating yeah. those translation projects. But yeah. we'll hopefully hear so, more about that next week. <laughs> yeah. So it was about ten years ago <laughs> for the first time that we helped them out when we did the Hungarian translation of the original debunking handbook but now they came out with the 2021 we're still struggling with that Mm. but um, yeah a couple of those translations have already been (laughs) done so really cool okay so but that brings us to the end of the news segment and the uh, indeed the end of the show so before we go do you have a quote for us Anika? I do. Okay. I thought, because I have to confess that I never heard of this guy, and that's why I wanted to give him a bit more screen time. (laughs) Okay. And I got a quote from Dimitri Mendeleev. (laughs) Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And in Periodic Law, he says, It is the function of science to discover the existence of a general reign of order in nature and to find the causes governing this order. And this refers in equal measure to the relations of man, social and political, and to the entire universe as a whole. How beautiful. Yes. It is, and it's, it's very fitting to, the, to today's episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is indeed. Okay, thank you very much, Annika. And indeed, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully next week there will be all three of us. Yes. <laughs> And thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week. 
Goodbye. Tschüss. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe I'm Edzard Ernst and you're listening to uh, uh, the podcast but I can't read the text anymore Okay <laughs> Pope will remain unpoken unpoken, unpoked sorry <laughs>